Um, I was uh, um, researching for today's message, and I came across this story as an as a, an illustration, and I thought about using it. It doesn't fit very well, um, but I thought I kept coming back to it. You ever have that where an idea gets stuck in your head and you just can't quite let it go? And I talked about it with a couple people, and and I I went back and forth, and I kept saying, man, I, it doesn't fit, and so. Um, I, I, I'm going to share it anyway, but I'm not sharing it in connection to the sermon. I, I, uh, I, I'm going to share it and do with it as you will. Um, it's a story of a, a village all right, at, at the village of Kolonovka, Kolonovka, Kolonovka. I cannot pronounce Russian titles. I think that may be missing some vowels. Uh, <laughs> Russia, attendance of Sunday school picked up after the priest started handing out candy to the peasant children. One of the most faithful was a pug-nosed lad who recited his scripture uh, with proper piety, pocketed his reward, then fled to the fields to munch on it. The priest took a liking to the boy, persuaded him to attend church school. Uh, This was preferable to doing his household chores, from which his devout parents excused him. By offering other inducements, the priest managed to teach the boy the four gospels. In fact, he won a special prize for learning all four by heart and reciting them nonstop in church. Uh, now, 60 years later, he still likes to recite scripture, but in a context that would horrify the old priest. For the prized pupil who memorized so much of the Bible is Nikita, Nikita Khrushchev, the former communist czar, uh, or communist czar. He was, czar, what's the proper title there? Comrade Secretary. Thank you. Comrade Secretary Khrushchev. Um, the reason I'm sharing this, and I, as I, as I kind of dive into this, um, um, and the reason this stuck in my head so well, maybe, is um, it's easy to memorize scripture, right? It's easy to check off the box of showing up on Sunday morning. It's easy to do all of these things, especially when there are like immediate rewards or obvious benefits or what have you. But the thing that that Khrushchev missed is is sort of a heart element, right? Like, as we come to worship God, as we hear the word, as we are, like, the family of God together, um, there's a heart element that has to be, like, built in. It has to be intrinsic to what we're doing. We, we come here to be close to Jesus. We fellowship to be close to Jesus. We do offering to be close to Jesus. And, and it changes us, right? It makes us into new people um, because we love Jesus. And so um, I, I wanted to start with that, and I wanted to, to challenge you before I even start, like, how... How are you growing to be more like Christ um, through your walk with Jesus? I mean, like, like how are you changing? Are you just memorizing the stuff and checking the boxes? Um, it, it's what's been on my heart, not about anybody in particular, but it just keeps bouncing around in there, probably because it's such a big empty space. Um, can you uh, bump me forward there, uh, Eli? I'm, I'm, my thing isn't working. I'll, I'll get it up and running here in a second. Um, we're kind of closing out judges, and I'm going to start. Instead of having a really clever illustration, I'm I'm going to start with a confession. I uh, this is the last Samson sermon, and I I'm going to miss it. Like I like in the last two months, Samson has quickly become my favorite figure in the Old Testament, like hands down. And and it's weird because he's awful, right? <laughs> like it's 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you, you, you caught me where I was going. Because um, <laughs> usually I, I look at guys like... Exactly, Michael. Mike. Um, wrong one. I, 
I, I, uh, here's, here's my reasoning. Because David's usually, like, historically been my preferred guy. I love David. Um, because David is, like, loves Jesus, but he's imperfect. And, and it is that. Like, as I read Samson, I find that I can relate to a lot of things. Not like I, I didn't, you know, cause my wife to be burned, and I never murdered 30 people in a neighboring village in order to steal their clothes or anything. Like, nothing quite like that. But Samson, um, Samson, there's a lot of drift in his life, and it's so easy to fall into that, right? I mean, how easy is it to let, I got to get this work done, become the most important thing? Or, that guy over there has ticked me off so bad I can barely contain myself, like, can so quickly outweigh, I love Jesus more than anything. Or, I would love to have, you know, a perfect family, house, garage, car, everything else. Like, how quickly can that stuff lull us into sleep and help us to forget that, like, Jesus saved us from our sins and that we're called to follow him? And I, I love that about Samson because it, it, it's this ugly reminder. You know what I mean? It's this ugly reminder that, that, that this is the most important thing, that, that knowing Jesus is the most important thing. And as we hit the end of the story, Samson has not done a single thing right up until this point, right? Um, we are in the book of Judges. Uh, last time you're going to hear this background, um, the story of the book of Judges is the story of the decline of Israel. The first judge was awesome, right? The first judge was, was the perfect man. And the last judge is Samson, and he, yeah, <laughs> he's awful. Samson is the most, like, powerful, the strongest, the toughest. You know, he's a ladies' man, the whole nine yards, but he doesn't do anything that's, that's right, and he only manages to serve God accidentally. Um, and so this is the story of who Samson is. He uh, ends his story with, uh, Jez- or not Jezebel, uh, Delilah, that was her name. Um, and, and chasing after this woman, Delilah, who just obviously tricks him, right? I mean, but Samson is so blinded by his own, like, lust and his own, like, self-assurance and everything else that he doesn't realize that he's getting trapped. And he winds up losing his, his losing God, like God abandons him. And so he's no longer got God's assistant, and so he's no longer um, able to fight off the Philistines. And so they capture him, torture him. Uh, blind him, and then put him on a grinding wheel. And he spends it's the lowest slave labor is grinding wheel. And so he grinds grain. Um, and actually, we're going to read that last two verses here before we jump into our three. Um, and she said, The Philistines are on you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as, the, as at the other times and will shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. But the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, the, the last note there, the hair had grown again. Like Samson did not have strength because of his hair, right? Like that's an easy misconception. Like it's a popular idea that, oh, because Samson had this long flowing hair, he was... He was, you know, that's where his strength comes from. Like his strength came from the fact that he was a Nazarite, which means set aside for the Lord. He had all of these commitments he was supposed to follow. He didn't follow any of them. The only one he maintained was the long hair, and even that he managed to lose. Um, but the hair growing back, I think the author mentions it for this reason. Because Samson is in the dark walking in a circle, right? Anybody ever been stuck in that spot? I love this illustration. 
you know, where you wake up in the morning, you do what you got to do, you go to bed at night, and like that's it. You kind of grind through day after day after day after day, and you got nothing to do but think, right, and push. Um, and in this case, Samson thinks and pushes, and I think he, I think he came to grips with some stuff. That's my opinion. Um, reading the text and going over it, a lot of commentaries will say that Samson ended pretty much as dumb as he started, but I think he started to figure out that like he actually needed God, and I think he began to understand how bad he failed at this point. Um, but here we are, Samson is grinding away at a wheel, by the way, in Gaza, where he humiliated the people of Gaza once before, right? Um, and so they brought him back to humiliate him. Now the lords of the Philistines, there are five of them, gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hands, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. Um, So now Samson is there. The five, like, leaders of the, the Philistine nation, they all gather up, and there's a huge party and a worship celebration, and they gather at the temple of Dagon, and they say, Dagon, our God has, like, done this thing for us. And, and really, kind of from an outside perspective, what they're saying, um, you know, what's implied by what they're saying is, our God beat his God, right? You know, well, the Lord took care of Samson. You know, Yahweh took care of Samson. But... Dagon came through for us. Dagon killed, or, you know, took, Dagon beat back their God and, like, like allowed us to capture Samson because our God overpowered them. A couple of quick notes about Dagon. Um, the Philistines did a really good job of adopting, right? The Philistines were not from the Middle East. They were um, carpetbaggers, I guess. Is that the right term? Like, they... They were started out in, like, Asia, and they crossed the Mediterranean Sea, or, you know, Europe or whatever. They crossed the Mediterranean Sea and set up shop in Israel. Um, they settled in the land, so they were usurpers. They captured the coast, and they controlled most of the coast, and they began just taking on things from the neighbors, right? So Dagon was not originally a god of the Philistines. He was a god of... Um, like the the Canaanites. And actually, at this time, he was worshipped in Egypt and over in Asia. He was a fairly popular god. And so why wouldn't you pick the most popular god? I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Plus, Dagon had two other things going for him. He was a fish, right? A fish with the head of a man and the arms and legs of a man, but the body of a fish. So he looked funny. Um, he, but, but they were a seafaring people, and so fish probably applied, you know, hey, this is attractive, right? We all like picking things that are, are attract us, and sometimes we try to make God into that, don't we? You know, like God looks like me. He agrees with everything I think, and he agrees with everything I'm passionate about. Um, like they had kind of made God into their own image. And not only that, Dagon was the god of the grain harvests, Right? Anybody remember what Samson did when he first really smacked out at the Philistines? He burned the grain harvest, right? And so they're saying, our God finally revenged himself against Samson for destroying the grain harvest. Our God finally came through. You know, just a, it took 20-some years, you know, and... It was quite a while. Like it, literally, this is 20 years after that. But there, there's still a memory. People remember insult, right? And so they're they're celebrating this, and they're they're kind of dogging on on our God, 
and they they are are praising Dagon like wow this is great. Um, another quick thing are they're not complaining about Israel, right? Because Israel is at this place, God's people are at this place where they just don't care. They're living under oppression. They've got the boot of like the Philistines on their neck, and they're just fine with it. Let's just get by. It's okay. Um, because they weren't all that concerned about, you know, being God's people. They weren't all that concerned about anything other than like the immediate. And they were kind of blending in with the Philistines by this point. A lot of them had adopted Philistine ways. Samson was named after a Philistine like God, like one of the gods in their pantheon. Like, I mean, he, they're, they're not even trying at this point. So they're not complaining about the, the Israelites because the Israelites never fought back. They're complaining about Samson because Samson's the only guy who fought back. And he didn't even fight back on God's behalf. He fought back because they insulted him and burned his wife alive, which, you know, is pretty bad. Um, and when their hearts were merry, by the way, merry is a really nice way of saying... There you go. (laughs) So they had a lot to drink. They partied in the temple of Dagon for a while. Um, They said, call Samson that he may entertain us. Now, this is not the wisest of decisions, right? But they've assumed total victory, and they're kind of drunk. And so they say, let's bring Samson on out, and we'll humiliate him. We're celebrating his defeat, so we'll... Will humiliate him so that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. Now, the two words there, entertain and entertained, are actually completely different words. And for the most part, they're translated identically, which is kind of weird. What actually happened was they had Samson come out and dance for them. Like, big, strong, tough guy, chained, blind, weak, dance for us. Right? I mean, he is humiliated beyond words. Right? Like, I mean, Samson has reached the point of absolutely pathetic. He used to be this strong, mighty guy, and in his sin and in his brokenness, he has been reduced to kind of a quivering pile of mess. Um, it is the lowest he's going to get. Um, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Now, between the pillars... The Philistine temple would have been a little longer than this room, right? Um, and there would have been two pillars in the center made of wood, right? And those pillars were about 10 feet apart. When you see it in cartoons, everybody watched that cartoon when they were a kid, right? Yeah. The, the pillars were right next to each other, and they were on the side, and that's not how it was. It was in the center of the building. They were about 10 feet apart. So Samson, like, like is standing between these two pillars, this big, broad thing, and there's a whole lot of people in this building, Um, They made him stand between the pillars. He's in the middle of the room. They're making fun of him. They're humiliating him. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Um, So Samson, blind, weak, humiliated. I need help standing up. Let me lean against the pillar. Um, This is their Delilah moment, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, sure. Hang out by the building, you know, the building's main structural support. That sounds like a good idea. You killed all of us single-handedly once, but nothing bad's going to happen. Now the house is full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. So when they brought him out from the prison humiliated. There was a crowd of folks on top of the building, right? Because most of the roofs at the time were flat. It didn't snow, right? It was the Middle East. 
It didn't snow, and so you didn't have a problem with the building collapsing because it snowed too much. And so you would have a flat roof on most buildings because it was cheaper, and also because you could hang out on the roof on hot, on, uh, at night and be cool, right? Anybody ever notice that, how the sun goes down and the inside of your house is hotter than the outside? Same way, right? So 3,000 people are on top. There's about 2,000 people in the building. They're all there mocking him. This is all a circumstantial clause, by the way, in one long sentence. It's just an aside. Hey, he's leaning against it. The place is full of men and women, um, thousands. Then Samson called out to the Lord and said, and this is important. Watch this. Um, Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Now, um, Samson calls out to the Lord. This is the second time Samson prayed. And the whole text is the only other time we see Samson praying. And the last time, it was after he beat the heck out of the Philistines, killed a thousand of them with a jawbone of a donkey. Um, and, and he prayed and he said, God, get me a drink. Are you just going to let me die of thirst here? I just killed all these people for you. Why don't you go get me a drink? Because it was reverent and loving, right? <laughs> that is the prayer of a righteous man. But God gave him a drink. Um, in this instance, we're seeing Samson in a very different light, right? And I, I'm saying this on purpose because a lot of folks will read this prayer and say, man, Samson continues to be awful because of what's about to be said. Um, when he says, oh, Lord God, um, the words he uses there, and this is a big deal because, like, we have three or four words we use and they don't always reflect effectively what the Hebrew is saying. Um, he is saying, I want to make sure I got the uh, right wording here, Adonai Yahweh. He says, so he refers to God by the name Adonai Yahweh, which means, O sovereign Lord, right? This is a very specific name for God. When Samson's parents talked about God, they used um, Eloi, right? Which is like this very generic God, little g God, right? You know, we might say that, um, I don't know, Johnny Cash was a country music God, right? We don't actually mean he's God over all the universe, it's just an expression we use, right? That would be the way Samson usually talked to God, like in the little g God form. In the, it's not a big deal, you're whatever God you happen to be, God. But this time he comes out and he refers to God by name. Um, and he refers to him as, oh, sovereign God, meaning um, God who makes his own decisions and acts according to his will and who pretty much is going to decide what he's going to decide to do. Like Samson is acknowledging that he is pretty much at God's mercy at this point, right? He's acknowledging that God holds all the cards and he doesn't. This is a very different Samson, isn't it? Samson has gone from I am the conqueror, right, to I'm broken and I can't do this on my own. Um. Of course, it all ends there when he says, oh, God, again, back to the generic, that I may avenge myself or that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. So there's a in Hebrew, there's a like poetic contrast because Samson's kind of a poet. Uh, my two eyes, they're one of vengeance, right? Like in the singular and in the, in the plural, um, he wants to double back his revenge against them because Samson, like at his heart, is still kind of a pagan, right? Like this do unto others as they have done unto you kind of thing. Right, like, like, get my revenge because that's the right way is what's driven him the whole time, and he hasn't changed that much. Now, here's what I have to say about that. I, I read a story about George McDonald, and I'm betting every farmer in the room is going to relate to this. George McDonald was a Scottish preacher, and he set out to build his house, like this country cottage, I assume in Scotland, 
Um, and, and he set out to do this, and there were these giant boulders in the spot that he picked out. And so he and his wife hauled these boulders out of that spot. And when they were done, they looked, and there were still more rocks, but they were much smaller. The boulders were relatively easy to move because there was just like five of them, right? And they hauled them off. Then they moved over, and they started hauling off these smaller rocks. And the smaller rocks were harder because there are more of them, right? Anybody ever experienced this? Walking through a field behind a pickup truck, <laughs> and you're picking up rocks. The big ones are obvious, but there are only a few of them. And then there's a lot more of the little ones. And then the smaller ones, they realize those have to go before we start digging our foundations. So they started picking up the smaller ones. And that was even harder. And they finally got to the point where the really small rocks that were still too big to just leave there, and they hauled all of them off. And they said, by the time we were done, it was, it was exhausting. But the biggest ones were the easiest. The smallest ones were the hardest. Got it? For Samson, figuring out he needs to rely on God is the biggest rock, right? Samson has removed his first rock, and there's still a whole bunch of other ones. Does that mean Samson isn't saved? I don't think so. I think Samson really turned his heart to the Lord. I think that he wasn't done picking the yard yet, or picking the field. Is that picking the rocks in the field? Anyway, um, that's everything I know about farming right there. And if you run over rocks with a combine, it's bad. Um, (laughs) <laughs> the uh, the so here we are. Samson has said, "God, I want my revenge." And so Samson returns to his old ways, but he does rely on God. He does acknowledge that God is taking care of him; that He's only able to do this on God's behalf. Then Samson grasped the two pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right hand on one and the left on the other. Um, now, here's a quick note. I said they were about ten feet apart, and that's because every other Philistine temple they've ever found, that's how they were built. It may have been that these were closer. It may have been. It also may have been that Samson knocked one over and then knocked the other one over, right? Um, it's not really clear because, like, like, for some reason, the Hebrews decided not to include architectural diagrams. Um, and I'll complain to the editor about that later. Um, but the, the, the point being, Samson has his revenge. He knocks the pillars down, and the middle of the room collapses, right? And 5,000 people were killed. Um, And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he had killed at his death uh, were more than those whom he had killed during his life. So Samson, this is actually a tragic moment, the big tragic moment of the text. Samson dies, but Samson dies not set apart. He's supposed to be set apart. Right? And every other judge fought against the enemy and killed them. Right? Samson dies with them because he's one of them, for better or for worse. Right? And in his death, he accomplished more than he ever did in his whole life. Man, I hope nobody says that about me. (laughs) Isn't it true? I mean, like, man, we're better off now that that guy's dead. Like, it's just not a very complimentary thing. Like, Like, at the end of the day, Samson's story ends tragically. But... But the one redeeming element, and this is huge, and pay attention, you're going to hear nothing else I say this morning. The one redeeming element is, even though Samson is awful, God saves him because God is merciful and God is loving. And like, like God will take those steps on our behalf, right? Which is what the message of the gospel is. Like we talk about the gospel. The gospel is not, if you be good enough, 
if you own the right car and vote the right way and, you know, tie the right amount and, you know, buy the right T-shirts and listen to the right music and everything else, like, God will save you. That is not it at all. It's not even if you follow these rules well, God will save you, right? It's not if you have a perfect family, God will save you. It is God knows you cannot save yourself from your sins. And so he sent his son to, like, from there to here, because we can't climb up to him. He comes down to us. He lives perfect on our behalf and then is punished for our sins because God loves us that much. And what saves us isn't, isn't like following his teachings perfectly. It's having faith that Jesus died for you and then following him, right? And you're saved when you have faith that makes it so that you follow him. Right? Like, that is a huge deal. Um, it costs nothing. Like, it is literally this free thing that God gives us. Um, trust me and you're forgiven and I'll make you into a new person. That is the blessing I'm offering you. And that's all that Samson has is faith in the last moments, isn't it? I mean, because he surely can't point to his good works throughout his life. In fact, he can't even point to his good works at the moment of his death. He wasn't doing God's work. He was getting revenge. Um, But what saves Samson is faith. Um, What redeems him in his death is is his faith, like, that God will provide, um, that God is sovereign over his life. Um, That is a big, big, big deal. And it's something that that is easy to miss, um, but it, I, I want to, I can't strive to say it enough. Like, God saves us despite us. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. Now, a couple of things here. He rejected his own people, right? He pretty much lived in the land of the Philistines. He chased after Philistine women. He wanted nothing to do with his own people. He wasn't interested in them. He rejected their faith, everything. Like the whole nine yards, Samson was kind of this crummy guy. Um, But in the end, his own family called him back, right? His brethren, like, redeemed him. They brought him back, and they buried him with his family, um, which is this great act of mercy. Also, Samson judged for 20 years. We don't know much about the rest of it. I'm assuming that this is the highlights, right? Which means there ain't a whole lot else that happened. So 20 years of screwing around, um, this is as good as it gets. Um, but, um, again, God redeems him. Um, and it was God that made any one of the other judges acceptable. It's just that Samson happened to be the worst one. Um, what do we do with all this? I mean, there's a lot of information, right? Um, for starters, understand um, faith in Christ is the most important thing. Faith in Christ is um, what saves us. Um, Samson obviously couldn't know Jesus because he's several thousand years before Jesus was actually born. Um, But what the New Testament tells us is faith in the promise of God's salvation was salvation for the Old Testament, right? Like they could believe in Jesus without knowing Jesus because they believed in God's promise. Does that make sense? Now we have the opportunity to know Jesus, right? Abraham had faith in the promise. We have faith in Jesus who is the fulfilled promise, Like, Jesus died for us. He carried the weight of our sins for us. Um, And we can have faith in that. Even if you've screwed up your whole life and everything you carry along with you as your memories is a big pile of junk, um, Jesus still carried that on the cross. And you don't have to work to earn that forgiveness. You are forgiven just through faith in Christ. 
Um, that's the biggest thing, and it's huge, huge, huge. Um, the next thing, though, is sanctification. Everybody, it's a big word, right? Sanctification is the process of picking rocks out of the yard, right? <laughs> picking out all the rocks so you get a smooth enough area to build a house or to plant a field, right? And it starts with the big ones. Our biggest sins get picked out. And over time, usually over a lifetime, progressively smaller and smaller rocks get picked out, right? This is the process of becoming like Jesus. It's an act of the Holy Spirit. It's not instant. Um, we should try to make it instant, but our flesh will always fight against that. There's a great line, St. Augustine is one of the greatest like, minds in history. I mean, literally, the guy was brilliant, but, but one of the most um, influential writers in early Christianity. And, and Augustine once wrote, uh, Lord, make me good, but not yet. Anybody ever feel that way? Lord, make me like Jesus, but let me enjoy some of these sins real quick, right? Um, that's the natural tendency we have is to fight against it. C.S. Lewis said it much more like, like eloquently when he said, you know what, when I was a little kid and I had a toothache, I could go to my mom and she would give me medicine that would make the tooth not hurt. Everybody understand this? But if I went and got medicine, the next day she'd take me to the dentist. And I understood how dentists are, Right? Dennis hurt you much worse, but they would fix the teeth in total. But he would go to bed consistently with toothaches because he wanted to go to the dentist. So he wouldn't take medicine now because he didn't want to deal with God later. Um, sanctification comes down to that, right? A lot of times we like to look away from our own sin and our own things that need to be fixed when God could fix them instantly because there's much bigger issues that are going to have to get worked out. And we don't want to deal with God about that, right? I, uh, when I worked at the church in Indiana, um, we had a guy who came and talked to our pastor just in the middle of the day one day. He shows up and he says, I want to talk to you. Explain to me why God exists. And they argued for about two hours. And in the end, uh, Jim was the name of the pastor. He was very intelligent, um, not the kind of guy you wanted to argue with. He had, had you know, reached this point where he had bested the guy thoroughly. And the guy finally said, you know what? I'll own it. I can't believe in God because if I did, then I, I'd have to stop cheating on my wife. Well, okay then. <laughs> um, this is how it is with our sin, though. Like, it's easy. How easy is it to look at your neighbor's sin? How easy is it to look at the news and think about how bad those guys are, right? Am I the only one who does that? <laughs> it's easier to condemn a thousand sins in another man than to own our own, to bring our own to the cross, confess it, and be forgiven. It's free. Like, we don't have to work for it, but it's so hard to do. And I think that's a big part of Samson here. It wasn't until Samson was broken that he was able to do it, um, that God's spirit moved in him to do it. You see with alcoholics a lot where, like, they reach rock bottom and then they're able to do it. Um, but the spirit nudges us constantly. We always have the opportunity. And so when the spirit nudges you and says, hey, this is not okay, you need to give this to Jesus. You need to devote this part of your life to following Christ. You need to put this away because it's killing you spiritually. Like, all we ever have to do is do it. And if we struggle with it because we want to go back to it and we keep going back to it, am I the only one who does that? Really, I am? Wow. <laughs> I may have gone to the wrong building. Um, the, when we struggle with going back to sin over and over again, our, like bitterness or anger or rage or resentment or jealousy. Jealousy is huge, isn't it? Um, um, lust or, or self-loathing 
or whatever, we come back to this over and over again. We find people around us who encourage us and pray with us, and we continue to struggle with it. And the struggle, like the biggest difference then becomes the struggle of it. The struggle is what makes us different. Drawing closer to God through the fight against our own flesh is what makes us different. I read a, uh, a great line this week in my research. Um, this guy was talking to a young lady who had, had committed her life to following Jesus, and he said to her, well, you know, what, what have you noticed? And she's like, well, I was a sinner before, but I'm still a sinner. And I, I actually realize I'm much worse than I was before. But the difference is, before I didn't run from it. I ran to it, and now I run away from it, right? And, like, it's easy to say, well, you know, I have to be perfect. Samson wasn't perfect. Um, Peter wasn't perfect, right? Um, Paul and Mark, you know, these are the big names in the New Testament. Not perfect. Um, in Christ, we're spiritually perfect. And then we just wait for the rest to catch up. In this lifetime, it'll never happen, but we still strive for it. In eternity, the exterior will match the interior. Um, we're spiritually made whole, but we pick our rocks for the rest of our lives. Um, my challenge for you, I'm going to close actually early. Um, my challenge for you this morning is to look at your life. And first off, ask yourself, like, are you, are you sleeping at the wheel? Are you hanging out with Delilah and ignoring the fact that that, you know, things are definitely going off the rails, right, or trying really hard not to pay attention to it, or are you, like, pursuing Christ? Like, are you in a place where you have faith in him and it's made you this new person? Is that new life showing up? Um, are you picking out the rocks? Are you loving people who you don't want to love? And we're all surrounded by folks we don't want to love, right? Not I love all y'all, don't, you know... <laughs> But it's easy to dislike people, isn't it? And it's sometimes more fun. But are we picking those rocks out and making ourselves new? Um, and if we aren't, like, take the time, chase after it, dig them out, clean your life up, becoming like Jesus. It, it's what makes life worth living. We're going to close in prayer, and, and I'll let you all be this morning. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, as we look at the, the tragic closing of Samson's life that that you would have mercy on us. Um, and help us to see uh, Samson as a mirror, not as, a, as an object to judge, Lord, and that we would come to be people who, who recognize our own fallenness. I pray, Lord, that you would redeem us and make us new over and over again every day. Lord God, that you would find the big rocks in the, in the middle of our life and pick them out, Lord, before we run over them and wreck ourselves uh, the way Samson did with Delilah. I pray that you would, would just help us to look to Jesus in all of this and know that the only way that we're acceptable, the only way that we're saved, the only way that all of this works is because Christ died for us. In Jesus' holy, holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Remember, nerd-